A spiritual practice today is an inner reflection that I try to include in my daily practice. It involves the elemental forces of earth, sky, fire, and water. As I light each candle, we will have a time to ask ourselves about our connection with that spirit in our lives and a time to sit in silence as we reflect. So please make yourself comfortable where you're sitting right now. Relax your body and turn your thoughts inward just for a minute. I start with east, the air. I think of the sky. Oops. I think of the sky, spirit, and flight. I think of clarity. And I ask myself, what lifts my spirit? and keeps me feeling connected right now. Reflect on that, please. What lifts my spirit? What keeps me feeling connected? Next is the earth. think of my ancestors and knowledge and strength and I ask myself what is keeping me grounded right now what makes me feel stable and able to continue onward breathe into that question for just a minute what is it that's keeping you grounded right now what makes you feel stable and able to continue In the West is water. And I think of intuition and emotions. I ask myself, what washes over me and makes me feel renewed, cleansed, refreshed? Breathe into that question for a minute. What washes over you it makes you feel renewed these days, makes you feel cleansed, makes you feel refreshed. And to the north is fire. And I think of passion, change, imagination. And I ask myself, 
What makes me feel alive? What kindles my interest and engages me? Reflect on that question. What makes you feel alive these days? What kindles your imagination? What makes you feel engaged and passionate about life? As you go into the week, think about these things. Think about how you engage in life and do those things that bring you alive because what the world needs is people who are alive. Blessed be. So as we continue on our focus of the foundations of our house, what holds the structure of our faith, today I'm gonna to be focusing on ancestry. So when I was in high school, I was taking the required American history classes and I always wondered why we were taking these history classes. And I was told that we need to know our history in order that we do not repeat our past mistakes. Now, I am not sure these days that we are actually committed to avoiding past mistakes. And when I talk about we, I'm referring to this country as a whole. Sometimes it seems like we might actually be wanting to repeat the same mistakes, but reinterpret them. <clears throat> we, for a long time, I'm sorry. Okay. We long for times when things were comfortable for us. But when I say us, I mean literally us. And not all, not all people. Our understanding of history is influenced by our personal experiences and bias. I'm reminded of a study that was done at the University of California, Berkeley in 2012. Paul Piff, who was a young psychologist, found pairs of um, students who he matched up to be similar in terms of what class they were in, um, what their income, their um, intelligence, uh, race. So these two who were matched up, one of them started off with $2,000. And every time they would pass go, they collected $200. And they were given two dice so they could travel around the board more fast than their opponent, who was only given one die. This opponent also was only given $1,000 to start with and only collected $100 each time they passed go. So while there's a lot of learnings from this game, mainly about the intersectionality of empathy and financial wealth, what stayed in my mind about this study was the self-reflection that each of the participants did after the game. The loser, who you may have guessed was the one who started off with a less chance of moving around the board rapidly and less money, reflected that the game was rigged and he felt like he didn't have a chance of winning. The winner, who began with more money and a big advantage, reflected that the game revealed they were actually a superior player who strategized more, and that they were smarter than their opponent. So instead of seeing the unfair advantages and how the game was biased toward them, 
They internalized their winning as something they deserved due to personal skills. The game was fun for the winner and they wouldn't mind playing again. The person who lost did not enjoy the game and did not want to play again. The point of this is that our understanding of history is dependent on our perspective. How we understand things today is dependent on where we begin and how we interpret events in our lives. So I'm starting off talking about our perspective because our understanding of who, of who we are as Unitarian Universalists is a matter of perspective. Who tells the stories, which stories they tell, and how they inter are interpreted all influence how we come to know ourselves. We are just as influenced by what has not been included in our history or who has been left out of our lexicon of our ancestry, and we may never even know the ancestors who have been left out. Black, indigenous, people of color, women, and many others may look at a sermon about UU ancestors and wonder what this has to do with them because they are hardly represented. Our UU history is predominated by men who are fi financially well off and Caucasian. And all of the ancestors I bring up today fit into this generalization. This means we need to understand their perspective is not reflective of all, and they may have understandings and live lifestyles that missed the fullness of experiences. Now, I'm not saying that I have dirt on any one of these people, and I don't have any backstories. As far as I know, all of them led consistently honorable lives. But as a woman, I have to say that I'm uncomfortable when my story is only about white men. And I wonder about this history. Still, knowing our ancestry is important to helping us know ourselves. In our personal lives, we need to know the story of our parents, our grandparents, and even further back, if we are to fully know who we are. I remember a class in graduate school where we learned about generational trauma, that it takes three generations to recover from a devastating event. Something that happened to my grandfather influenced the way she raised my father, who impacted his ability to parent me, and this manifested itself in how I raised my children until I could identify the unhealthy patterns. There's also gathering evidence that stress and trauma impact our DNA. So knowing our ancestors can give us insight into ourselves and begin the process of healing. And I wanna bring in the Reverend Marjorie Bowens Wheatley who explored cultural racism and misappropriation and suggests that one explanation for borrowing or taking on traditions and rituals of racial, ethnic and religious minority groups stems from us being alienated from our own lives, our own cultural heritage. We may appropriate other cultural or religious traditions because we have not fully integrated our own traditions and identity. And all of this is to explain why we must know our ancestry individually and as a religious tradition. Otherwise, we can end up repeating problematic behaviors stories and assumptions without the full awareness that might heal and might complete part of us that is missing. The Unitarians and Universalists, as we talked about several weeks ago, began as two separate traditions and did not unite to create one denomination until 1961. 
And it is important to note that this church, the North Lake Unitarian Universalist Church, was the first church in the nation recognized under the newly formed UU faith. Several weeks ago, I talked about how we are a faith of the heart and of the head, universalists of the tradition of the heart. John Murray, who our Time for All Ages featured, is credited with starting the first universalist church in the United States, but it is Hosea Bellu who is considered the father of universalism as we know it today. Born in 1771, Bellu was the son of a preacher farmer and raised in a Calvinist Baptist home. As a teenager, he could not reconcile belief in a loving, all-powerful God with the idea of eternal punishment for most of humanity. By the age of 19, he preached his first sermon on universal salvation and launched into a career as an itinerant preacher, traveling to churches around New England. He was a vigorous debater and prolific writer. His most important writing was called A Treatise on Atonement, in which he challenged the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, the idea that Jesus' death paid for human sin. More importantly, Bellu replaced the idea of an angry, punitive God with the idea that God is eternal love and wants humans to be happy. He summed up his belief in a loving God by saying, your child has fallen into the mire and its body and its garments are defiled. You cleanse it and array it in clean robes. The query is, do you love your child because you have washed it? Or did you wash it because you loved it? Bellu founded the faith of our heart, the heart of our faith, not just from the conviction that all of us, every human is held in love, but also because he upheld that religious aspect of our faith, emphasizing that there is a divine spiritual aspect to our lives. It has been said that our first principle, the one that affirms the inherent worth and dignity of every person, comes from Hosea Bellu's convictions. William Ellery Channing, born in 1780, is considered the father of U.S. Unitarianism. He was born into a prosperous New England family, and his grandfather was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Channing graduated from Harvard at the age of 18 as head of his class. Years of study and ministry led Channing to become a strong champion of human rights, and he fostered social reform in the area of free speech, education, peace, relief for the poor, and anti-slavery. He was a staunch liberal, believing each person should think for themselves and value the quality of knowledge over the quantity of how much is known. He was a strong advocate for independent thinking, who instigated the transcendentalist movement in this country and is considered to have changed the intellectual landscape of the United States. His defining mark came in his 1819 sermon called Unitarian Christianity. In this sermon, he described the Bible as a book written for men in the language of men whose meaning is to be sought in the same manner as that of other books. He defended the use of reason and religion, arguing that God made human nature with the capacity 
but moral choice and the ability to increase understanding and spiritual progress. In another essay titled Likeness to God, he argued that our moral nature leads us to comprehend God. Our fourth principle that encourages the free and independent search for truth and meaning reflects the value of intellectual reasoning that Channing brought to our faith. So it's interesting, although Channing and Bailu were contemporaries living in the same area of the country at the same time, there's no evidence that they ever met face to face. They knew of each other and each wrote essays challenging each other's doctrines. But the fact of never talking with each other speaks to the biggest separation between Unitarians and Universalists, which was the class divide. Unitarians were common folk, largely self-educated, working class, who relied on donations and financial support from their church members. Unitarians tended to come from the wealthier and prominent families, and because they didn't need to work for money, they had the luxury of higher education along with access to books and scholars. Universalists came from the churches where the Sunday services lasted all day long. People were expressive and vociferous in their prayers, while Unitarians tended to have more somber worship with long intellectual sermons. The three forces that brought the two traditions together in 1961 came from a strong youth and young adult movement that had already started meeting together before the association, along with the financial insecurity of both traditions that threatened their individual existence and the very real and vital commitment each has around social justice in the United States. The association of these two traditions has not always been easy. At times, the Unitarian intellectualism has predominated to be replaced by Universalists, more down-to-earth, spiritual emphasis, and then back again. Some of you may be aware of a current challenge to the association that arose during the UU General Assembly in Spokane last year. A group of ministers and lay leaders suggested a split between the two faiths, largely to the belief that it is impossible to reconcile the class and racial tensions we are currently addressing. I hope this doesn't happen. Personally, I love both traditions. I am naturally inclined toward the Unitarian scholarly religion where I get intellectually challenged and I need the universalist tradition that reminds me of my heart, that I need to move into uncomfortable places where I love others and let others know that I need them and I need their love. We are a part of a faith tradition that is intention and will always be because as humans, we move between our heart and our head and that's okay. We each call each other back over and over to the balance. I want to end here with a quote from Thomas Starking, who preached in both Unitarian and Universalist churches back in the 1800s. He said, Universalists believe that God is too good to damn people, and Unitarians believe that people are too good to be damned by God. Blessed be. 
For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. We are our grandmother's prayers, and we are our grandfather's dreamings. We are the breath of our ancestors. We are the spirit of God. We are mothers of courage and fathers of time. We are daughters of dust and the sons of great visions. We are keepers of mercy and brothers of love. We are lovers of life and the builders of nations. Whiskers of truth and keepers of faith. We are makers of peace and the wisdom of ages. We are our grandmother's prayers and we are our grandfather's dreamings. We are the breath of our ancestors. We are the spirit of God. We are mothers of courage and fathers of time. We are daughters of dust and the sons of great visions. We are sisters of mercy and brothers of love. We are lovers of life and the builders of visions, drinkers of truth and keepers of faith. We are makers of peace and the wisdom of ages. We are our grandmother's prayers and we are our grandfather's dreamings. We are the breath of our ancestors. We are the spirit of God. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe.